millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jules, I want to get your thoughts and opinions on one specific thing which has dominated my week. Do you play video games with the big light on? Oh, you've already asked me this question, man. You came to me in the middle of the week and Josh was there like, here, listen, he's about to ask you some crazy you stuff. So just, uh, just humor him. Humor the old man here. I mean, so you told you're me before. Me. Ah, that's not true, is it? It's not true. Uh, the internet records are uh, dubious at best. Yeah, I am actually. Um, you said that you've been playing your entire life, your entire gaming career with yep. the big light on. Yeah. And Josh and I yeah. were like, no, no, no. Ambient lighting all the way, no exceptions, no substitutes. But what when, have you been doing? Why? Why have you had the big well, light on? When, when did everyone get the memo that we switched over from like full the light? The moment that we had the choice of a light switch, man. <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, I, don't, I was trying to go back in time. I was like, okay, why do I have this? Good? But the thing is, it's a stupid thing to realize because I was like, yeah, it gets dark during the day. You put the light on. I didn't think of it beyond that. And then everyone's like, oh, you don't want to be doing that. You want to put the ambient light on. So I was thinking, like, what is my okay. you know relationship okay, so to, to light? An easy, an easy way to explain why we do that is because video games are, and it has been clarified as such mm-hmm. for a long, long time, they are cinematic experiences, Scott. Yep. And what do you do when you're at the cinema? Everything bar the central source of light is blocked out from you. As an audience member, you sit there and you in, are enveloped by the TV's warming glow, glowy warmness. Uh-huh. and. It's, I'm watching movies, just, I'm watching TV, I'm watching everything with a big light on. I mean, not anymore, that, that but I was. That blows my mind. <laughs> that blows my mind to sit there. And like, like so it, when we, uh, Kerry and I sometimes watch uh, TV in the front room, mm-hmm. and it's like, we say, turn the biggie off. The biggie right. has to go off when the TV <laughs> is on because it's just about ambience. It's about setting the mood. Well, it's about, apparently. It's a, a, the big light is called as such because it's aggressive. It's there. It's a portable <laughs> sun that you've taken with you. And it's just like, hello, mate. I'm going to highlight all your flaws. You change all your your, yeah, if you thought that you were going to get a rest from the oppressive nature of the world. Wrong, <laughs> wrong, 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 wrong. Like having wrong. a torch being shone in your face. I just sort of had it on. I didn't even think about it. I haven't thought about it in 33 years. And then it was, it, I was like, me and Josh talked about it. I asked you about it. I put a Twitter poll out. Everyone was like, what the living hell are you doing? 90% of like no, a thousand No, no, there were some absolute madheads that agreed with you there and said, some... now the big like, and I was like, what is going on with these people? Do they live in that? What's that place where it's like, is it Nova Scotia where it's like the, the nights oh, are 18, goes... 25 hours long or something like that? It's just, 
like, is that, are they the people that are there? Just going, look, we just need as much light as we can get. We have That's literally got light translucent light skin because we've got no uh, vitamin D coming in from the sun. <laughs> but the thing is, like I said, I was trying to think of like, okay, if this is something that I just missed the memo on or just whatever, everyone just started doing this. I was like, well, I, w- I went back to my parents. I was like, well, I guess, you know, they used to have the big light on when I was a kid. We watched movies and the, the light would just be on. We weren't sitting Mate. in the darkness. But, but I messaged my mum and I was just like, okay, mum, this thing's happened at work, big light. Do you guys still have the big light Sorry, on? this thing's happened at work. She's probably <laughs> immediately just going like, she's like sweating bullets. Like, oh no, what's happened to my son? What's going on there? My little baby boy. And then you're just like, the big light question. The she's big like, light discourse. Throwing the phone out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, asked her, what's going on? Like, Did you guys you know, remember when you started just putting the big light on at tea time? She's like, we don't do that. And I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "Oh, we don't, we don't put the big light on anymore." She's like, "We just, we just watch it ambient. We put some lamps on." I was like, "When did everyone get told this? When did Bro. everyone just realise this?" My parents Bro, didn't even tell you me. Dirty. She's, she's instilled that living ideal in your mind, and then she just said, "Didn't do that." She actually, she's, she's literally gaslit you in this sense. In the, like... Well, we did do it when I was younger, but somewhere along the way, the, my parents also embraced the ambience, and I didn't do this. I've been living the big light life for my entire. The lifetime. And How? Wait, 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 wait. But there is another guilty party in this. Yeah, so there is. Not who's, yeah. Why has your wife not said anything? Well, she thought she was exactly the same as me, which I guess proves that Absol- she's the one. No but- way. There is no way that in the random <laughs> chance of rolling a like a D1000 that you both come up a thousand on that of the people, the two people in this world that well, both grew up in parentages that had the, the big light on. We But, we, but that's the thing. We literally did. I went to her going, like, hey, yeah, this I, is I, I don't, I, I, I don't know if you've seen on the discourse here. online, my dear, but the, a lot of things have changed in regards to the way our relationship to light and she was like what do you mean and we spent the entire night driving around buying some ambient lights i've sorted it now jules i've sorted it but me and her had no idea i thought that you were going to say that you were driving around looking through people's windows and seeing seeing what they they've got a red one in there they've got a blue one in there you're just there in the bush like the little leaf in front of your face just like look at him he's got the big light on he's one of you like knocking on the window and the guy looks at you and he's like oh they can see me because the big light's on (laughs) join my cause and people who are respecting the big light I said to you that it's also a safety feature as well, didn't I? I said you did. to you. Because, it, right, okay, think about this, mate. Think about this. And the audience can uh, mull on this as well, right? Mm. If there is, say there's like a little peeper creeper outside your house and you've got the big light on and you're just relaxing in your front room, right? They can see in. They can see you. They yeah, can have. That. They've got a clear view. But they can also see the type of life that you're living, be it good, be it bad. If you're a wealthy person, mate, they're looking at their iron up going, like, oh, I might break into that house. That's the one. That's you're not wrong. Me. But I mean, then they go to my house, right, mm-hmm. with the ambient lighting in. They're like, they can't even afford to have the lights on. They're like, <laughs> literally, they're lighting candles like uh, in the Victorian age. I'm not going to bother them. They're fine. <sighs> that whole thing, that whole thing of having a living room on the front of a street and then having the light on so everyone just like you're on display like you're at a museum I always hated that like our living room is at the back because I'm just like get me away from human eyes do you think that we do that literally because the house was designed to basically be the status of wealth to show people it's basically like the glass windows and stuff weren't necessarily to let light in it was to allow other people to view into your life and be like oh wow look how rich and amazing I am because in in theory architecturally why don't we have our our lounges, our living rooms in the back of the house with no mm. with with windows there, but they're on in your garden where mm-hmm. no one's looking in at you? Well, that's what, that makes that's the what most we, sense, right? That's what we have. Even though when we got the house, I mean, looking to even have a house, it's been able to afford it over yeah, generations yeah, yeah, yeah. of wealth passed down. But yeah, we just moved everything around because the way that they had everything set up when we got it was that the house was on the front, and I was like, I'm not living in full view of the populace, nah, so yeah. I just moved everything around. So um, so we're living that particular dream, which I would encourage other people to do. But I just thought I'd ask you about the old big light. Because when I asked it at the start of the week, I didn't realize just how I was in the bottom 10th of people. (laughs) 
10, 10% of people putting the big light on. I've joined the your percentiles went against you right there, mate. They absolutely <laughs> had your trousers and your school lunch for dinner, <sighs> mate. That is. But the thing is, I'm glad that you're evolving as a person. I'm glad that you're learning you. because now you've actually gone a step above where I'm even at. You've catapulted yourself. This is the hummus situation all over again, mate. For people who don't know, by the way, welcome to the UBP. Yes. But also, but also <laughs> there was a time and place where Scott legitimately went up to me. And this isn't me bagging on you, mate. I'm Do so it. happy that you did this. <laughs> You came up to me while we were at the What Culture offices back up in Gateshead and you said, <laughs> mate, have you heard of hummus? And I was like, bro, bro, I'm, 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 at this point when you told me, I was like 32. I was like, of course I've heard of hummus, mate. It's kind of a kind of a big part of my entire lifetime. But you had only just experienced it. Yeah, well, I mean, I put it in my wedding acceptance speech. I was talking about all the things that my wife's brought to my life. Yeah. And I was like, I've discovered yeah. hummus. It, there's a whole is- thing. But this is what I love about you is that you're a guy who's willing to try all these new things and you learn and you grow and now you <laughs> catapult yourself because you went on, you went hummus crazy, mate. I you did. were mashing chickpeas like there was no tomorrow. But <laughs> but this is the same thing. You've now gone beyond me because I'm mm-hmm. just at the point where I've got the big light off. I've got a little salt lamp on and maybe some candles on depending if Kerry's feeling spicy. Mm-hmm. But the thing is is that you've gone one step further and you've got ambient lights for the back of your tv so now you've turned your tv into its own feature piece so i'm behind you now i'm behind you i didn't even know and we're not sponsored by them i think i mentioned this the other day because i I was so blown away by the fact you can get bluetooth light bulbs you can get smart light i don't know how many people know about these things but you can you can use an app and you can change the color and i was like oh i can i don't have to buy another light bulb again so i just just bought a couple of them and then you just some of them are so good as well because it's like i saw somebody playing um god of war ragnarok with Mm. them on and it's just amazing how the color spill onto the wall behind him because he had i think he had like a cream wall so it really highlighted Mm. the color difference Mm. and i was like man that looks good because it's like an interactive piece that looks like it can't be contained by the tv (laughs) it is so superfluous in the biggest scheme of life where you're just like oh what have you spent your day doing earning enough to buy some bloody bluetooth lights (laughs) but in that moment in that time Big light off, I'm ambient lights you. on. Let's go. Yeah, man. Horror stuff like Dead Space looks incredible. So many mm-hmm. the Demon Slayer game looks incredible. I know everybody knows this because, like I said, 90% of people were just like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Um, yeah. But still, I've seen the literal light and I've now bought some <laughs> colored lights and I'm there. I'm with you. I've joined I've joined the, the populace. <laughs> Um, let me just so kick yeah. things off though mate okay let me just kick things off because you've had that we've wasted oh, I always say wasted Wait, we, we, a little seminar time a little seminar for the UBP the UBP <laughs> um, the UBP um, there's, we'll start with a question from a Christian uh, Christian Kin over yes. on Instagram who messaged me saying best PS1 trilogy now we can only choose one of the three that they have suggested okay I'm oh, okay. sorry four Spyro mm-hmm. Tomb Raider mm-hmm. Crash Mm-hmm. or Gex the Gecko. It's easily Crash. And I love Spyro. Is it easily? Is I would it say easily? it's easily Crash. The trajectory of... Like, those, all three of those Crash games you can just give to someone right now and they'd love them. I feel like a lot of people have a weird relationship with Crash 3 but because of how minigamey it is. But like, I, I love 3. Weird uh, relationship with Crash 1 as well for some people mm. because they don't like how it's the Dark Souls of platforming games. <laughs> <laughs> the Dark Souls are trying to nail that first jump yeah, uh, and falling yeah. down the hill. I don't I feel like, I mean, like I said, I love all of those trilogies. I, just, I don't know. I just, Spyro I is amazing, though. It is. I mean, the thing is, like, Spyro 3 has the same problem that Crash 3 has, where it's, like, different mm. characters. It's probably not different different characters in Spyro's case, but just minigame, you know, gameplay dif- uh, differentiations that a lot of people didn't like. I mean, like. The, the trajectory of Spyro and Crash, they're kind of similar, really, yeah. aren't they? Because yeah. it's like, they both went into, like you said, the very minigamey territory with their third game, mm-hmm. and their second games are widely regarded as being their best. So I will say that, like, all three of those Tomb Raider games blur into one in my head. Like, I, I remember specific <sighs> levels, but I couldn't tell you which level was in two or three at this point. At like, this point. D- Tomb Raider 1 was, like, hauntingly good. I genuinely have, like, 
I could play through the entire first three stages in my mind to this right. day, moment to moment, room to room. They are that deeply embedded because I played it that much. Mm-hmm. But I won't say that Tomb Raider 2 and 3 were actually important in my personal gaming journey. Mm. However, Crash and Spyro definitely were. And I adored Gex Enter the Gecko. I believe yeah, that was the yeah, second same, one yeah. with him like um, as the spy on the front cover, yes. uh, like the James Bond riff. Mm-hmm. That was an amazing game. That, to me, that one game is actually better than potentially some of Spyro and Crash's other games. <laughs> but as a trilogy overall, right. I can't recommend it because... Gex 1 definitely had its flaws. Mm-hmm. Gex 3, I can't remember which one that actually was. Maybe I'm yeah, getting Gex that one confused. Gex 3D is one of them as well, I think. It's been, it's been so long since I've thought about Gex. Oh, maybe I'm getting confused with Gex being a 2D game first and Gex 3D Enter the Gecko was the one that I remember being oh, the best maybe. one. Yeah, maybe they, that's. They, but, it, but either way, that was such a phenomenally good game. It's just <coughs> weird because our relationship with Gex is totally different to America's version mm. with it because we had Leslie... Phillips, I believe. You he know better like, than me. I, I don't know the specifics. Other than you'll know, you'll know him as a voice actor because he's the guy who's like, oh, ding dong. Oh, right, okay. Like, yeah, I think he <laughs> was. Um, he was the voice actor for Gex in the UK, and they got some absolute jobber out in the US um, to do. He was like a comedian, like a stand-up oh, okay. comedian, uh-huh. and people were like, oh, he's so funny, he's so funny. And I went and listened to like the clips of this. It's aggravating it's teeth pullingly <laughs> bad because right. it's like this reminds me of like a night at uh, Mel Gibson's house <laughs> <laughs> and it's like what is this and then you've got the suave and smarmy almost gex that we got mm-hmm. and then this absolute jokester for the US market so, it's like it's yeah. almost like I mean the thing is like gex just didn't for me didn't keep it didn't keep popular didn't stay popular um, I mm-hmm. loved that game at the time and at the gecko mainly because at the time it was a big deal that a game would reference anything in pop culture so it was like oh my yeah. god I can't believe they're channeling this stuff for me though I feel like Crash and Spyro are like a tier above like nothing against yeah. Tomb Raider I loved the Tomb Raider but it's mostly the first one um, and then maybe, maybe I guess Tomb Raider 2 um, 3 I didn't finish uh, back in the day so I can't and like, that's the thing yeah that, it, I, it's, it's one of those things where I know it reviewed well I know the mm. people who really liked Tomb Raider absolutely loved it, but just it wasn't for me. I'm going to go with if you go for Crash, I'll go yep. for Spyro. Then, then at least so we're covering our bases. Shall yeah, I think it also. I mean, the thing is, like, Spyro has a skateboard. If if Crash had, had a skateboard, maybe yeah, that a hoverboard with the surfboard as well. Yeah, so oh my god, the Hang Eight stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. We have the most us question next. Uh, then the most oh, okay, us question on. ever asked from David Steed, um, who says, "What's a good place to start with turn-based combat games?" I've always been scared off by the complexity <laughs> slash strategic elements, but both your enthusiasm has made me want to try them been enjoying the ubp since it started so thank you both for all the great listens well thank you very much for sticking with us the whole time yeah cheers that i appreciate that yeah. um the answer to that is <laughs> oh, there's there's too many there's too many good ones um thing is in terms of combat game are you then going down like a grid-based XCOMy approach right I, I think that turn-based we've got to separate out like you say because if it's turn-based then we just think oh it's like final fantasy 6 like that is a turn-based combat you system you said seven but wrong there but you need... uh six six is good well, six is very good basically yeah, but, uh, okay well, we'll put that we'll put a pin in that we'll put a pin in that um the turn-based game though i guess would be everything is turn-based so we do look for the xcom stuff so mm. ones that we can definitely recommend xcom mm-hmm. i'd say that marvel midnight suns is a turn-based combat game that, because it's yeah. card based it's mm-hmm. not necessarily grid based but it's turn-based and mm-hmm. i absolutely adore that the game. way midnight suns I'd makes you think is quintessential to the, the strategic side of it yeah yeah also for xcom uh, I'd say Enemy Within, like the second one, yeah. not Enemy Unknown, yeah, yeah. Enemy Within. <coughs> mm-hmm. The um, Enemy Enemy Within is the one which had the Wrath of the Chosen, War of the Chosen expansion, wasn't it? That's XCOM which 2? I... Oh, XCOM 2. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go for XCOM they... 2. 
yeah. XCOM 2 because I, I genuinely think that that is my favourite okay, um, cool. hex-based game mm-hmm. ever. I genuinely think that that is such a brilliant step up. It's mm-hmm. so pressured. It's so time-sensitive. And it's so bloody difficult as two, well. Yeah, 2 is large. I think for me, it was like remembering like what got me in. It was like the initial XCOM, the 2012 one. And then when they did the expansion that was meant to be a sequel, but they put it out as like DLC instead. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it's called Enemy Within. And it's like they brought in all the mechs. And it was really uh, yeah, weird. that was amazing. Where you could hide units. behind your own mech, guys. Yes, that yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing fun. And it's like that would, I think that is something a little bit easier to get the grips with than XCOM 2. But you can't go wrong. Like either of those depends on what like, what you can get access to. You could go way <clears throat> back way and play like Final Fantasy Tactics because that's mm-hmm. obviously got the Final Fantasy branding. It's got a really rich storyline and an incredibly deep battle system. You've got mm-hmm. your Fire Emblem games as mm-hmm. well, which mm-hmm. obviously go for the turn-based and uh, hex-based stuff. Mm-hmm. You could maybe even go back to, do you remember a game called Kessen? Uh, Good Lord, yes. Oh, wait. You don't need... Wait, like- no. Wait, no, Kessen, Kessen, Kessen no, uh, like a... no, Dynasty Warriors Tactics. That's what okay. I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. That, that's It's basically like the same sort of thing. Kessen but that was, was, was a PS2 thing. I remember that. Um, yeah. I was going to say um, Triangle Strategy is actually phenomenal from last oh, year. Yeah. That If you yeah, want something yeah. with more of a story-based, like a story edge to it, that's very Game of Thronesy in terms of like um, power structures and battles between these different families and areas um, and things like that, if you want to add that to it. But that's still a grid-based strategy game. Um, but yeah, I think overall we'd probably just both say XCOM, either Enemy, Enemy, uh, Enemy Within or XCOM 2. It's, it's the, one of those things where it is so challenging, though. Mm. Is it going to put off people who are just dipping their toe in? Because it's mm. like a game that does not hold your hand and it will punish you the moment that you try and think, oh, okay, I need a bit of time to That think was definitely this. why I kind of bounced off, too. Like, I never finished two. And so I, I, would, I guess I would say Enemy Within or, or the original XCOM Enemy Unknown from 2012. Like, I know there's, yeah. the, there's an original, like, 2D one, but the remake. Yeah, I had um, that one. That's, that's right. brutal, man. That is, <laughs> like, like, if you thought that the remakes were hard, mm-hmm. in this one here, your first mission is always the same thing. You have 10 guys all have guile sporting big big flat tops <laughs> they walk out of the plane they can't see the enemy because there's fog of war across the map you get shot from off screen mm-hmm. it's alien weaponry against your underleveled guys they die immediately game over oh, fantastic Fan- actually that's the thing if someone's getting into this from scratch do you play with permadeath because I used to and then I would always like because if you have permadeath and you've ranked up a soldier for like 5 hours and they die and you never get them back and you're supposed yeah, to feel you wanna, that you want to win but... you want to win though yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. it's weird because I feel like permadeath should be like your second playthrough almost mm. like your first playthrough you should just get through and just win and cheat and do whatever you can but then mm. really challenge yourself the next time mm. i'd say that if you want a balance between difficulty accessibility and out and out fun and gore and silliness i would maybe suggest going for the warhammer 40k chaos hunters demon demon hunters chaos gate i think okay. that's what it's called it came out uh, last year mm. and it was my uh, one of my game of the years i thought it was brilliant because mm. It takes all of the XCOM formula, like the grid-based stuff, but it removes chance to hit. You don't have to oh, okay. do a percentage to hit. You do always hit because you're Space Marines and you're trained to be the best <laughs> of the best, mm-hmm. but you just do less damage the further you are from your opponent, and I liked that That's as cool. a compromise. I was yeah. going to say, if you're, when you're getting into XCOM, uh, even if you have a 99% chance to hit, you'll probably still miss. Like There's always that thing where you'll just get dicked on. Weirdly enough, though, I was reading about this. That um, is one of uh, gaming's greatest fallacies, that is. That 99% chance to hit thing, apparently, um, it doesn't miss. Somebody told me that the whole idea of, like, yes, there is a 99% chance to hit, and people have said, oh, you could have that and fail. Mm. But apparently, it doesn't. It's only on lower percentages than that. Like, it will nearly... Well, we've it's, definitely it's experienced it where like really high percentages have missed. I've had a ninety yeah, percent yeah, shot but not but not ninety nine percent, no, I guess not. or something like that. Yeah, so I was like, <laughs> I was like, interesting. We might as well just like, debunk that now. Well, yeah, I think if there's like there is, there'll hopefully be a spot where you'll definitely nail a shot, but it just feels yeah. like in XCOM you can just get uh, things can go wrong. 
oh, you can get dicked over in an instant and it yeah. is not fun in the slightest. And speaking <laughs> of things that you do not like uh, okay. when playing video games, let's move over to hbadder underscore 97, what a username, over mm-hmm. on Instagram, who said, what up, legends? Love the so- UBP. Thank you very much. What is an instant turnoff when playing a game? As um, in, what will turn you off a game quicker than anything else? I, ugh, my mind, I'm just thinking of what my mind serves up when you ask that. Stuff where it mm. pops up and asks me to log in to a company-specific account. Oof. Like when um, Bethesda put that stuff in the Doom, re- uh, when they re-released Doom on the Switch, and it would just pop up and be like, you haven't logged into your Bethesda.net account? And that it was just sucked. like, I don't want this. And like Ubisoft, and you would log into the Ubi, Ubi Play or whatever, um, or, or EA oh. wants you to log into something. And if you didn't do that, they'd give you adverts, wouldn't they? Because yes. it was like, hey, if you do log in, you'll get a 10% experience boost for the next 20 hours. And it's like, oh, dude, and it's like, just it, let me play the game. And it's like, there's the first, that's the thing, like terms and conditions when you first boot a game up, you'll scroll through all of them, and then maybe they want you to connect your account or whatever. Um, and then something like 2K, it's just like, you've got to load like a, an internet window inside the game oh, to fill it all it out. It's horrible doesn't it yeah. and you're like typing out your email with the game keyboard like I'm just oh. like nah man I'll just t- I can't think there was something I played it was last year that opened like that and I just I turned it off I was like I don't even care enough about this and um, it was something that just didn't have much of a much going for it anyway and it's, it full on just made me go like no They've just done that with Blood Bowl 3 that's just dropped. They right, like okay. you go into the game and it gives you two options, either log on to go online or you've got to or you go offline. And if mm-hmm. you go offline it treats you like you're a piece of scum because it's just <laughs> like if you go offline you can't trade anything else, you can't um interact with online players, you can't do this, you can't do that and blah mm-hmm. blah, blah blah and all XP will not mean anything Ugh. in the greater scheme. And you're like, "Oh, that's that's a bit cold, isn't it? Can't I, just... can I just play an offline game for fun, thanks." Like, yeah, literally. And it's just that whole idea of something being online that has all these different things that are plugged into you like being turned yeah. off at some point or whatever um i guess yeah. we should say as well live anything that's got live service nowadays i, I honestly am completely turned off from that because scott and i actually just before we filmed this have just mm-hmm. done a news uh, video on the state of the suicide squad mm-hmm. state of it mate and um <laughs> we basically were just there like oh uh, it's become a live service game and i think that you as an audience member listening to this knows exactly what i mean when yeah. i say it's a live service game it's a homogenous piece of slop that tastes like every <laughs> other bit of gruel that you're being shoveled down your pipes at the moment yeah, we would recommend our news video as our almost immediate reactions to um, the oh, footage yeah, that was shown during yeah. the state of play. Yeah. And uh, we we'll might get right back around to Suicide Squad because people have been asking about that and what it means for the state of AAA games and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. But that'll be my big one of my biggest turnoffs is when a game is just, just won't let me play it. Um, I was playing through Atomic Heart last night and I only done the first sort of couple hours. But that game... Oh, weirdly enough, I actually had a question lined up for Played Atomic okay. Heart. So uh, R. Kelly 141, you mm-hmm. have just... Oh, R. Kelly, really? You've chosen that as your username, oh, that's not what you Kelly? Want, is it? That's not a good time. No. But yes, you yeah, saying Played Atomic Heart. Yes, Scott has. Yeah, I, I dove into it last night. I started it a couple of days ago and then I tried playing it. I stayed up to try and play it at midnight and then just fell asleep as soon as it finally installed. So I went back to it last night. I've done the opening sort of two, three hours. Um, that game gets in its own way constantly. Like you can... You barely play anything in the first couple hours it's constantly on rails it's constantly story based the the dialogue is terrible the writing is pretty oh, bad no. I'm um, really upset about that because I'm actually looking forward to playing it I haven't played it yet I'm like waiting <laughs> to get through my Resident Evil 2 speed run that I'm doing it's a weird on one dice and I want to just get it done right yeah you have a lot more fun with RE2 than you will with this I ended up just oh, tapping out right. on it eventually but the thing is like it's a weird thing I, obviously right now there's still a lot of stuff being done around the conversation that it is very pro-Russia like there's a lot of stuff going on in regards to things the developers have put in there that seem to be targeted at Ukraine. So I don't pick up on all of them. 
weren't they like making this game years and years before this that there's no way you could have pre- so this you is the, predicted this... a russo ukrainian conflict um mm. at this point in time mm. i'm not trying to defend the developers no, but this stuff does happen where mm. world events happen outside of game dev release but totally. i guess at the same time if you are making something you do have the option to switch and change stuff around mm. it would be pretty hard though when your entire game is set in russia though. so that's that's the thing like I do, i've not played enough i don't obviously don't know enough of russian culture ukrainian culture the history of those countries whatever to pick up on most stuff as as the layman um yeah. but it was just what some people were sharing online going like oh my god there's this photo is in the game and this represents this and whatever i oh, haven't really seen certain oh. things like that myself yet um nor would i necessarily get the full context of it but that's just to say that that is out there um okay. but even still as a just as a video game i think that it drags its ass for about two and a two and a half hours just lots of on rail stuff lots of preamble the opening sequence is incredibly impressive as a feat of coding considering the mm-hmm. team size um and at the beginning i was like oh my god if you just told me this was the next Bioshock I'd probably just buy it um, really? it's just uh, outside of the voice acting just in terms of the way that they, the world is framed and there's a lot of really cool like original uh, machines and like the way that they frame this idea of um, a, a Soviet victory coming out of World War II and what would happen from that um, all that stuff is fascinating to look at the art direction is very strong it's just that the dialogue is terrible um, and the level the level layouts are just so boring where it's just like go oh, all the really? way over here get a key go back fight like two dudes like the combat that's nice and chunky um okay. but there's not the, for me so far there's hardly been any of it so um i played quite a bit last night and then i had to like open a door there was a lever somewhere i could see it in a vision mode it was in a different room and i was running around trying to find this switch i finally found it i have it. heard that the busy work is yeah. insane like having to open doors that require balls of energy and you've got to right. go get four balls and the yes. um protagonist even says like who would who would desire i'm, I'm going to do him like a brooklyn accent because let's face it he's just an american isn't yeah. he and it's weird he's like, to be this, he's like, like hey yo this door opens but only if i put my balls into it and then balls. But, but he says that and it's like it's meant to excuse bad game design like Which making is such people standards. aware of bad game design is not a good idea because no. like people just go yeah okay you've said that this is a stupid way to play this game but why are you then making me do it yeah which is one of the most outdated like way like a get out it's like oh if we just acknowledge it then we can do we can do a fetch quest we can do 50 mm-hmm. things um, yeah, I just it was just the level design that put me off because like the way that they advertised it. I don't know if you saw the advert. Uh, there was a, a recent um, uh, ad video advert or whatever starring uh, Jensen, Jensen Ackles, Jensen yeah, Ackles, yeah, yeah, yeah. and where it just seemed like it was more like a Doom or a Wolfenstein, like more of a full on just like swiping through all these different. Robots yeah, they and stuff. really did push a, like that. It was going to be an action heavy yeah. uh, set piece thing and not a collectathon style mm-hmm. thing that you and it's not necessarily collectathon but it is very slow like it's just very slow and it's like they set up this sort of action premise when things all kick off in the intro it's like right finally i'm gonna get to chew through all these robots and you just don't it's got like stealth mechanics it's got like all this weird level mm-hmm. layout where you're just trying to find a key to get through the next door and maybe it opens up in time it does look absolutely gorgeous that, that, that's the thing i do think it's incredible as a feat of coding um for this team i think it's their first game um, and obviously right. it's been in development for a long time and I know that they did have other plans for multiplayer that got shaved down and everything so mm-hmm. I think that side of it is impressive if you can separate it but I'm not having fun with the actual story the writing what I'm doing moment to moment and after a while I was just like I am just wasting my life going between these rooms <laughs> trying to find this key that's never a to good go, feeling <laughs> to go to the next room um, for this general setup that I don't even really care about what's happening and yeah there's a whole thing with like Russian agents and German agents but they're all voiced like Americans so it's, that stuff is jarring as hell as yeah, well. Yeah, I don't like that. Don't like that at all. Like, yeah. uh, I know that they have given you the option to play with 
original Russian language and stuff like that, mm. original languages, which I think that I would just have that. As a I, I try to find that in the pause. That must be in the main menu. That wasn't in the pause menu. Oh, really? If, if I can switch it, then cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just I was looking forward to this game. Like well, obviously, we didn't know that much about it across most of this year. It just looked like a cool Bioshocky type thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully, it gets there. But I don't know if I'm going to play that much more of it. It's just it was just such a slog. And I think there's one of there's something about being offered up something so potentially beautiful in regards to the uh, the architecture, the art direction, and then it just dragging and dragging and dragging, and then being like, oh, this is just all show and nothing else. It's all just glitz and, and nothing else. So um, that's a shame. That I'll see. Shame. I mean, whatever. Like the the reviews are all over the place. Some people giving it nines and tens. Some people giving it four. So yeah, I remember AG, yeah. Uh, IGN gave it um, eight out of ten, and I was like, oh, right. interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. 
I'll see you all soon. Now, next question from uh, Rhino, who says, with Shinji Mikami having left Tango, Tango Gameworks, do you think moving yeah. away from the horror games that he pioneered has caused his departure? Um, I don't think I so, but... What, would you, what, what do they mean? Cause his departure as in, like, well, he didn't, it's not um, a horror game that he didn't uh, didn't enjoy working on Hi-Fi? Well, I guess that's the assumption that, like, yeah, Hi-Fi Rush was their, was their most recent game and he wasn't a direct... He was uh, brought on board after it was in motion or something. Um, so I don't think... But Shinji known for much more than doing just horror games. Mm. Like, he works on very exuberant projects. Like, I, I think he works, like, in the same way that um, Platinum Game Studios used to work. That mm. sort of, like, over-the-top point me in a direction I will take it to its ridiculous extreme like kind of Yoko Taro for uh, Near Automata Potato Potato it's just like <laughs> they're one of those auteur directors that just goes here is a concept that may be very traditional let's expand it and do something very silly and strange mm -hmm. with it so well he was he perfected I, I, was, that stuff it was a bit of a shame to see him go though because I was mm. excited to see how well Hi-Fi was doing mm. and and thinking, okay, where could things go from here for him and the studio at large? But mm. losing that kind of implies that it's like, yep, I'm a one and done, contractually obliged, let's go on to the next one. Maybe. I wouldn't, because the thing is that like, inside Hi-Fi Rush is like a teaser for the next Evil Within. So it's like the assumption was yeah. that he would be wanting to do that and they've got more, mm -hmm. assumedly they've got more budget than ever because they're with Xbox. So I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I feel like he would only leave to do something of his own. Maybe he's just sick of yeah. the, that level of production. I mean, it would grind you down he's been at that level of production for a long time and even going to tango from capcom and um, was like a step down to try and start again and get that spark back and whatever but yeah. um yeah i wonder what i mean the thing he's had clearly got so many ideas he might as well break off and do something smaller again yeah i always think to myself how it must be to be a video game creator in a world where Hideo Kojima it also exists in. <laughs> I feel like that man casts a very large shadow over most of the gaming industry with people mm. constantly referencing back to the freedoms that he was given the uh, the money that he was always uh, had available to him and the people he was allowed to work with mm. and some would say unfairly so because it's kind of like did he deserve to have all right. of this fame and the success when it's not just one person but an entire team that makes True. your reality come to life mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's like if I was a video game creator at that level in the same sphere as him, mm. there would always be that sense of jealousy of thinking like, how can one person be given everything and produce something like Death Stranding that was so utterly divisive, mm. and yet you deliver something like Hi-Fi Rush, which is universally acclaimed at this point, mm -hmm. um, had a beautifully marketed campaign to just do the shadow drop. It's here, a huge success, and yet you're not working with the same constraints or yeah, lack of it's, it's, in that's this That's a good sense. point. Like, it's not like anyone's holding him up like, oh my God, you know, Shinji Mikami. Like, I guess that, that, that's the thing. He was brought on like during development because when they announced it, he was part of that Shadow Drop video, but it was the it yeah. was a different wing of the company and then he sort of yeah, helped to get over the finish line. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Because you think to yourself, it's almost like he was brought in as a kind of... And here is Shinji Mikami. Yeah, and it's bit. not. It's not yeah. like it's not like Shinji Mikami is the focus. He is designing a new game. Here it is. Blah 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 mm -hmm. blah. And that may not be the case. It may, like you say, because he came in too late into the project and mm -hmm. just saw it over the finish line. But it's weird how some game creators or directors are put front and center as mm -hmm. the big marketing sell, and others are just kind of like, oh well, I'm 
also here, I guess. And like, everyone's got their everyone's got their different like opinions in yeah. terms of like he might not want to be the star of the show, but I do find it interesting. Totally. Well, the things like that that is fascinating because when you think about the amount of worlds that Mikami has birthed or helped shape, mm-hmm. like Devil May Cry, Vanquish, um, and then being able to do Evil Within and helping on High Fire Rush, he has birthed more stuff than Kojima has. Yeah. Like in terms of yeah. like a ground up universe kind of thing. Obviously, Kojima's just done. He, I mean, he's pretty much just done five different worlds, but within Metal Gear. Um, yeah, but still, true. Mikami should be up there more, and he is to people like us but like i mean i don't know if the, if the average person would recognize hideo kojima as a name but i feel like more people would know kojima as opposed to shinji mikami even though yeah. like you said they both largely operate in the same way like mikami is like, an author uh, has been for so long like shinji mikami has released so many games of different qualities and styles that mm. i'd say that overall he is the better director if we're putting the two yeah, comparisons yeah. i know that he obviously uh, hideo kojima is a huge huge soft spot for you but mm. i just think in terms of having as many different successful projects like the guy may helped make vanquish it's one of my favorite games that, uh-huh. like i and it's still so underappreciated even to this day well, i'm still just like, like running his stuff down it's like like the original resident evil he was the director on he, ori- he also directed the original dino crisis like imagine being that person <laughs> to spear head resident evil that yeah. is insane man that's the thing and it's like yeah over the years obviously little things like executive and like um beautiful joe where he's an executive producer you're one yeah. of your favorite games god hand he directed that uh, yeah yeah vanquish yeah. shadows of the clover for a while wasn't he clover yeah. studios yeah yeah and it's just that's the thing and it's like even something like um ghostwire tokyo he's just listed as executive producer for that but i feel like ghostwire still had a really lovely like approach to it like i love the art direction in that game i mm-hmm. wanted to love that game it was just the way that it was so generic once you actually spent more time it in it but it just yeah. came and went didn't it and yeah. that's it, it was just kind of like cool great to look at not that fun to play no that was like another um i guess suicide squaddy type thing where they just went down a really safe route in regards to the gameplay let's go back over to uh instagram and go to lord golder who says what is the best (laughs) things that a sequel can do i love it when they reward you for doing well in the previous game that is a great shout not enough games actually carry over progress save states and choices that you made in the previous game some mm-hmm. of them just go like you made this choice canonically this was the choice that was made that's you got true. the best ending or the worst ending and i do love it when you get interconnected games because uh mass effect 2 great example of yep. that some of the choices that you made in that carried over and it was a pleasure to get emails from people that you helped or didn't help mm-hmm. in the previous game or characters remembering you going like well you didn't like it when we did this back <laughs> on that planet it's like oh that's cool i like that it's, it's no same cool i'm always I, they don't do it anymore like talk about like a thing that like because i guess it would be a much bigger deal for a team to embark on okay this is going to be three games because right now in the modern day you wouldn't be able to guarantee those three games and mm-hmm. i guess that in uh, mass effect's case it was just sort of they kept going i, mean, I think it was always as a trilogy um but that idea of doing that now is something that's rarer and um, i was going to fold in uh, nelson fowler's question because um, that's okay. also about sequels um he's um you know uh, tw- uh tweeted in i was gonna say emailed in um yeah. tweeted in saying that i'd said god of war ragnarok was just fine because it didn't really expand gameplay in a meaningful way so in both of our opinions what direct video game sequels expand on their predecessors gameplay the best i think that's like a way of rolling that in of like what should a sequel yeah. do or what are the best sequels do because my mind goes to uh, devil may cry 3 I feel like that was like such a huge step up from DMC one and two. Um, two was like a weird experiment that didn't work. Yeah, whatever. Um, but then three was just like, okay, you can, you know, there's so many moves you have access to, and so many different ways you can engage with combat. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, in terms of like that idea of what carries over, 
Um, I don't know, I like sequels that carry on where the first one left off in terms of a gameplay mentality. Like, if you've played the original one, where all those different um, animations and responsiveness and everything is, like, in you. Like, it's almost like, you yeah. know, you're thinking you've learned in a those way. skills and you don't need to relearn them, sort yeah. of thing. And so, yeah. like, one of my favorite sequels is Hotline Miami 2, which I know a lot of people mm. didn't like because mm. it's such a hard game from moment one. But if you've caned the living hell out of Hotline Miami 1, then 2 just literally carries on where that left off. And it is more yeah. of a reliance on guns uh, rather than melee, which is, like, the, one of the biggest, like, identifying parts of it but i like that i could just go straight into two and be challenged from from level one and um, that is a conversation in itself because like a lot of people will just pick up sequels but i don't know for me i, I always end up going back and trying to get the original of a thing anyway i don't know if you yeah. always do that but yeah. it's it's interesting because there's a lot of people um game developers say that the making a sequel seems like it's a sure thing on paper but the problem is is that you are at that point you've got notoriety around your game usually when a sequel comes out people at least know of the original game's existence mm. but you have to assume <clears throat> for the most part that they haven't played it mm -hmm. and i was like what a weird way to think about things that you're making a sequel but you have to make it so that anyone can pick it well, that up was that stupid whereas thing. i know that if i didn't if i made a game i and i made a sequel mm. i probably would continue things on because that's the way i would as a author or a director mm. see it but for the casual gamer if they picked it up and was like well how do i do half of the moves and this game <laughs> isn't teaching me in a fresh and interesting way that i can't get up to speed quick enough then mm. you actually lose a lot of interest straight out of the gate so you end up with sequels that go hey remember the original game here's the start of it again yeah here's like, the recap here's thing it's because I think of it like, uh, I think of game sequels like movie sequels. So it's like it's fundamentally continuing the story. So I should watch yeah. the original one. But I wonder if as an industry, they think of it more like a second product. It's like it's another yeah. one of them. And yeah. so we're just going to, you know, we're going to do the gameplay mechanics again and, and do it that way. Um, but yeah, I feel like there are like, different ways to approach it. But like when you mentioned Mass Effect before, I remember when Mass Effect 3 was coming out and EA were just, there was a whole advertising campaign about it. Mass Effect 3 being the perfect place to start. And it was like, yes. there's no way that you could Not just watch like, you couldn't just watch Return of the King and just get the Lord of the Rings trilogy like it doesn't yeah. work that way it was like i remember the opening based on that because i obviously was like okay let's scrutinize this <laughs> and judge it as if i was a brand new player coming into mass mm. effect 3 and that opening section with uh shepherd and the reaper attacking mm. and then you basically just escaping you see the child potentially die yeah. you're just kind of like okay i do understand that you're setting up a big evil but if i was a newcomer coming in i'd be like whoa this is moving a million miles yeah. a second i do not understand why this giant thing is attacking or what it meant to be mm -hmm. why are people so afraid like what what is going on here and it's like if, yeah if you just came into uh, mass effect 3 straight away it would feel like a weird sort of b movie it would just literally be like yeah. alien invasion go stop it and i guess you have this yeah. crew that you know clearly it would like be lesser them. with your lack of understanding because mm -hmm. you'd just be like this is just a generic alien attack what's going on next question from Daron Garcia who says love the podcast listen every week first time asking a question I hate what Warner Brothers games have forced Rocksteady to do at the last state of play <laughs> it's the only logical explanation I can think of what's the worst example of publisher interference that you can think of and um, I also want to roll in uh, Nate the Gamers question who says when was the last time you played a AAA game that was unique it's a harder question than you think and it does suck especially when you see that the studio is basically just effectively being curtailed by the standards and expectations of the video game market mm -hmm. scott said in our previous video that we put out on the news on the suicide squad reactions that it stinks of a game from 2017 yeah. and therefore it's a case of it had 2017 mechanics and mentalities and then as it got longer in the gestation period and the budget went higher and higher and higher they were like oh god we have to make our money back somehow what how do you make money back now loot boxes are out by this point <laughs> um the what's in live service stuff Get a battle go, pass go, 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 go. 
Yeah. I think, yeah, that idea, worst example of publisher interference you can think of. Do you remember Fuse? It was the game that Insomniac did with um, Do EA. Do you remember Fuse? It was like uh... a, it's a, it was years ago, it was like a four person, um, it was a single player game, but you could switch between a whole squad, um, a okay. little bit like Brute okay. Force. Um, and Insomniac oh, what a game, what a game. Eh? I know. Love that you referenced that. What a pull. I love that little dinosaur dude that you could play as in Brute Force. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Brutus. I remember that dude, just the look of him. Um, but yeah, so Insomniac did a game with EA called Fuse, and they did it Insomniac style, where it was like lots of cartoony characters and whatever. It was like a four-player squad thing. And then EA were like, this isn't going to sell. Make it military. And then if you look at the before and after of what Fuse started as and what it released as... Um, and the release date version of it is kind of like that old Fracture game. It's just sort of like oh, generic yeah. space marine yeah. kind of stuff. And it was like the biggest bomb of like Insomniac's career or whatever. Um, so that would be mine where they literally overhauled it because um, it was just like, no one wants this. Make it like everything else. Yeah, I feel like there's so many games that have that, don't they, where they have a great idea in principle and mm. then somebody just goes along and says that won't sell that won't make it to the mainstream mate people don't want to do x people mm. don't want to do y another example is uh, payday 2 so when it was bought out by i think starbreeze studios is the one that bought it off the original um publishing house or development team mm. they then said cool right we've got it now who likes microtransactions? And everyone went, no, no, we don't like microtransactions. And then a week or a month later, they said, hey, you know what people don't like? Uh, having microtransactions, so let's get them out of the game. Oh, so really? that nearly killed Payday 2. And I thought that it was near impossible to do that because that game is still enduring as like one of the more popular games on Steam. Stuff like that where they go, like, oh, is this it? Is this the thing you want? And everyone goes, dear God, no. And they go, oh, sorry. Why would you add it in like 10 years after the game release as well? That is just bizarre man that's their attempt at sort of like trying to make everything into a live service it's like well we've mm -hmm. got a fan base we can monetize the living hell out of them let's try that um, yeah we I have think, loyal customers let's scalp them like, yeah let's just sort of like mine the love and get the money out um, I feel like um, Nate the Gamer's question about when was the last time you played a AAA game that was unique um, I guess unique gameplay mm. is few and far between um, it tends to be for me it's more unique thematics like I loved um, God of War Ragnarok's depiction of fatherhood I think that's like yeah. more unique I think Horizon um, the 2017 game like obviously the way that that unique universe was like born like the amount of detail it's put into it i think that, that whole idea of a robotic apocalypse and ro robotic dinosaurs and stuff that's a really like unique idea too yeah it's weird because once you boil down triple a games into their core essentials what what are they doing new like, <laughs> I, I guess i guess that demon's souls was probably the last one that i can think of that took a core concept and then added the ridiculously hard challenge aspect to it which elevated right. that entire thing mm -hmm. i'd say that uh, Breath of the Wild, at least, in, it, and it innovated within its own genre, sorry, mm -hmm. its own franchise to adapt a new genre to it. Mm -hmm. But if you take all of these things away, none of them are new. Like, they're all it's, just it's new, new to the franchise. If you're looking for a new gameplay mechanic, it's very few and far between. Like, like I, I, yeah. yeah. I think also, like, the idea of, um, I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2 was very unique. Like, that was a very, like, belabored no, approach well, to... Well, what, you know, was it unique, though? It, well, was, it, was, it was unique in the sense that it had a lot of detail, but mm -hmm. it wasn't a unique game. It was it was just rock. It was just a third person Western. Like it didn't do yes. anything different with that concept. Oh, I would say that they, I mean, you're right. Like the core mechanics are still a third person shooter. You're still taking cover. Mm -hmm. You're still like doing those things. But I feel like the, the it was, uh, the, Red Dead Redemption 2 to me feels like an indie game with like a, uh, sorry, a triple A game with an indie soul. Like it's sort of mm -hmm. like, we're going to take our time. We're going to make you really feel like you're struggling through the old West. And I feel like that was something that really stood out. So I would say that Red Dead Redemption 2 has more unique aspects to it in That's regards to framing those thematics. You really do feel like you're playing the death of the old West. Like it's so Because it's the long. life sim effectively at that Yeah, point. literally all the yeah. social aspects to it. it 
it was weird because when I was doing the research for the um, the list that I wrote uh, yesterday, the uh, tiny ways that video games blew your mind without realizing, mm-hmm. I was looking into indie development uh, versus AAA development because mm-hmm. it just ended up on like a big thread of indie devs talking about what they did and didn't do to get things working. Mm-hmm. And the they showed this diagram uh, that had a... Um, loads of different aspects of key features that AAA games look to achieve and it was a widespread that was evenly fixed ab- uh, amongst them so it was like graphics, gameplay um, DLC, monetization mm-hmm. sequel bait, blah, blah blah and then it showed what a AAA uh, indie, indie game or I uh, game hmm. looks like mm-hmm. and it was all of those things but they were minimised but equal and one aspect was just like shooting off into the distance right. which was one new mechanic done well and I was like right. yeah that is actually what indie games are they're basically just like what if this platformer had a time rewinding mechanic? What yes. if this uh, racing game had uh, the ability to flip the entire gravity upside down? Like mm-hmm. that's what they do, and which is like, what the industry used to yeah. be. Like especially in yeah, the two yeah. thousands, it was like, yeah, you're one cool mechanic. I, yeah, I mean, we've long said on the podcast that like if you want, you know, a variety of game mechanics, it's in the indie space. It's not in the AAA space. But yeah, because AAA they do lots of new mechanics. They do lots of features. They have to have everything all at once, mm. all the time. And it's like, okay, like that's great and all, mm-hmm. but you do end up feeling almost overwhelmed by what is actually new and what have you borrowed? Because mm-hmm. it's like Ubisoft, as much as they're in hot water at the moment um, for many, many reasons, they at least adopted the Ubisoft formula to have it's a generic game with one facet that we're going to push, mm. like um, Black Flag with the entire depth of it going into the naval combat system mm-hmm. was an inspired choice. Mm-hmm. But not many games do that where they just focus on the one thing. Like, I feel like Sony are in a position exactly like that right now, where you get, like, almost the same game over and over again. It's always a third-person, over-the-shoulder kind of camera, um, mild-look components, open world, um, and then they change one little thing in there. So whether that is, you know, the Ghost of Tsushima, the combat model was the thing that they tweaked Mm -hmm. in there. Obviously, there's little things like the way that the the wind guides you to the different missions that you go to, but it largely plays the same way um, as something like The Last of Us Part Two or whatever, which largely plays the same way as A God of War in terms of the way you explore that world and then you just you change the combat model for god of war but if you just took a screenshot of it of a character walking forward they would all look the same it's just that it changes in terms of the combat model um but that's largely it like the you know you're largely playing them the same way it's not like sony are putting out a first person shooter um or a really high fidelity platform where you're kicking off the walls and air dashing and doing whatever they just don't do that stuff anymore it was quite funny, wasn't it? Because obviously with the state of play we had uh, yesterday, it was all of the PSVR 2 games that yes. came out. And mm. I was like uh, scanning through them and I was like, oh, it's a first-person shooter. I, I know. was a first-person shooter. I was a yeah. first-person shooter. It's like, cool. So that's going to be where you get your first-person shooter fix from. And I understand <laughs> why, because it is a first-person perspective. Headset it is immersive. It is mm-hmm. the easiest way to invo- envelop people in. There was mm. only one game in there that stood out to me, and that was... Um, don't close your eyes or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. before your eyes, I think it's called. Before your, yeah, uh, before your eyes, that's it, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was like, cool, we've already seen this game, but now getting to actually look around the space and it reading your actual blinking movements, I was like, okay, that's a nice use of the PSVR Yeah, too. that seems cool. I think as well, with the, that was my thing watching that uh, that roller because Josh has got the PSVR too. I need to mine him for info when he's back next yeah, week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole thing, that was my thing. I'm looking at the footage of the games that are coming out and I'm just like, this just looks like I could play it on a regular controller. And I know that I can't. Yeah. I know there's more fidelity to the motion and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not like we're getting a Sony first party first person shooter. It's not like they're doing, no. you know, the last time they tried that was Killzone and it absolutely bombed. So like they just haven't bothered. <laughs> 
didn't they release a little special gun for one of them, the Zappa or something? Like oh that? God, yeah. Um, and there was a, there was the a game that, that was like it was like you're going to revolutionise the way you play first person <laughs> shooters on the PSVR, and then it's like it's just for this one game and no other game uses yeah. it. Fantastic. Oh. And all that was was like you were just slotting the two move controllers into one little yeah, framework. Right? It looked yeah. terrible anyway. Final question from Mr. J, who says, "Good afternoon, you pair of legends. Who is the greatest Smash Brothers character, and why is it Kirby? The little pink blob is an absolute god." Oh, this again. <laughs> this again. I, oh, I hate the fact... in a long time. I just don't like the fact that Sakurai just believes that, that Kirby is some sort of badass that can take on anyone. So therefore, <laughs> he gives his character that he created the skills to become the best Smash Bros. It's like, you're going up against people who are like trained killers, evil, that could dominate the entire <laughs> universe. And you're just saying, oh, no, uh, this Kirby kicks his ass. Kicks his ass, mate. Kicks his ass. It's like, nah. He would, he would eat that universe. I think for me, um, if I'm going the best Smash Brothers character to literally just use, um, I yeah. really love Little Mac. I was about to say, I find him so much fun because it's yeah. like, bam! All the combos are great. His, like, uh, his bulk up, that big like mutated yeah. version of him is awesome. Um, I guess like I think like Ryu and Kazuya um, are awesome as well. Uh, but you're just choosing the, the fighting game fighters. Then, I like really, the fighting game that? dudes. I think that, well, I mean, you've got a lot of Fire Emblem characters to choose from, but I don't really rate many of them. I'd say that my favourite character to play as would be uh, Bowser or King K. Rool, because I kind of like my big heavies, and Mm -hmm. I do like the fact that you've got some very fun moves, like the up and then downward smash with uh, (laughs) Bowser's butt smash is so funny to pull off. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you'll never beat the absolute meme lord that is Falcon Punch! Like, that is is there for a reason. It is a good laugh. Whenever you you connect with that, Yeah, Captain Falcon ticks my uh, my fighting game box as well. Because is um, Paul in um, Smash? No, yet? sadly not. Because oh, they need to have like the big sort of like Falcon punch versus the <laughs> punch <laughs> that, that he's break got. the screen. Um, oh, yeah, so I think funny. they've um, they've finished Ultimate stuff now, but I'll shout out Sephiroth as well. I think his uh, just oh, his yeah. combos are awesome. Um, but yes, for now, a massive, massive thank you to everybody for sending in their various questions for the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. I've been Scott Taylor. That's been Jules Gill. I have indeed, and remember, you can go check out our social medias every Thursday for the Call, call for the questions, questions, where we will be asking for your questions, be they gaming-related, be they film, TV, food, or otherwise. You can follow uh, Scott over on uh, Twitter at slash LP89, and you can follow me over on Instagram at RetroJ, but the O is a zero, baby. Beautiful. Once again, thank you very all very much, and we'll catch you next week. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.